Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages. I spent some time two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, um, up in the treehouse in our yard. How many of you know the best place to hear God's word is in the treehouse? <laughs> um, in December, Bernadine got COVID, and uh, so we had to isolate, and so I thought, well, let's build a treehouse. So we spent two weeks building a treehouse, and um, I go up there, and I hear God's I just, I just get alone, and it, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm up there in the treehouse, and the birds are around, and, and everything is just perfect. Everything is just awesome. And I hear God just say, start to read Jeremiah 17. And so I start to read, and obviously the most famous verse in Jeremiah 17 is verse 8, which says, for he will be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river. And this tree won't see and fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. And so here I am sitting in the tree. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is just amazing. And then I flip the page and, and it gets a little bit more serious. And it talks about burdens. And it says in verse 21, thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and for the sake of your life. So he's just blessed us. He's just told us we're like a tree in his presence. But then he says, take heed. So, so you're a tree that isn't afraid of the fire, but take heed. Don't carry a burden on the Sabbath or bring it in through the gates of Jerusalem. And I felt God was just starting to speak about the holiness of the bride and the holiness of the body and the fact that we get to come together on a Sunday. And then he said, but carry no burden. And I'm, and I'm asking God, what burdens? You know, so legalistically speaking, we've interpreted that scripture as, as don't work on, on Sunday. Don't put things on your donkey and make your donkey carry them. And, and so in a very legalistic sense, that has been interpreted at the extreme to not even use electricity on a, on a Sabbath. To walk to church. How many of you drove here this morning? Sinners. <laughs> All right. No, that, that's at the very extreme in some interpretations. But God just spoke to me this morning about carrying burdens in our hearts and not to carry them into God's presence. In other words, when we come into God's presence, we don't hold on to those burdens, but we allow God to fill us with his stream that nourishes us. And so many people are fueled by their burdens instead of fueled by the stream. So they'll say things like, that's not fair, you know, if only that guy would, or if only that government, or if only that. And generally there is just a, a sense 
uh, that, that people carry burdens and use their burdens to fuel their decisions and the things that they do. And so God's saying this morning, don't carry that burden. Don't carry that burden into my presence, but be fueled by the presence of God. And, and I just want to stop there and pause. And I, I wrote down the burden of insecurity this morning because I felt like God wanted to really speak to people about insecurity this morning. Not, not speak as much, but really minister into that. And there's three things I wrote down here, and, and I, I just, this is, might be different. This is not so much a sermon per se, rather than a ministry moment. But if you're struggling with insecurity, in other words, if you're struggling with self-doubt, if you're struggling with a sense of inferiority, if you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with unreliability, in other words, you don't feel that you can be relied on out of insecurity. I, I just want you to stand this morning. I'm standing. And God wants us, because that can be a real burden on our lives. It can be a burden in our financial decisions. It can be a burden in our ability to be effective in the workplace. It can, be a, it can be a burden in the ministry. Anxiousness is a burden that comes out of insecurity. So if that's you this morning, why don't you stand right now? We're just going to take a moment just to break that burden and ask the Holy Spirit to come and just remove that burden from us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. How many of you know it's God's love that breaks these burdens? It's God's love that brings us courage when we're afraid, when we're anxious, without hope. So, Holy Spirit, as we stand this morning, we put out our hands and we ask that you come give us supernatural courage this morning, that you break the lie over our lives, that we are inferior, that we are not able, that we don't have what it takes. We break the lie this morning that we do things our own way, that our way is not good enough. We ask, Lord, that you come and fill us with your spirit this morning. Help us see the truth that you created each and every one of us with a specific purpose in mind. But even as we say that word purpose, there is fear that rises up, a fear that we won't achieve the purpose that you've created us for. And Father, I ask this morning that you come and give each person rest in your streams, in your purpose. We just read your words said, blessed is the man who spends time in your presence. Because we will be like trees planted at the stream. And like every tree 
that is planted for a purpose. We will grow because we are watered by your presence and we're watered by your spirit. So come and remove every insecurity, every lie of self-doubt, every lie of unbelief and give us this morning supernatural courage to walk boldly into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you break that lie over our lives. And so we come boldly into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you just felt something lift in that moment, in that moment? All righty. So you ready? <laughs> Let me just read Jeremiah 17, verse 7 again. Blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord, and whose hope and confidence is in the Lord, or whose hope and confidence the Lord is. Just say that with me again. Blessed. Now say this with conviction now, all right? Don't be afraid. We've just prayed for insecurity. So no one should feel ashamed to shout it out. Okay, so shout it out with me. Blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord. And whose hope and confidence the Lord is. All righty, turn to Colossians 3. Or Colossians 1. I started this with our leaders in the week. Just what God has been revealing. And, and yeah, Colossians 1 verse 2, it says, To the saints. Say this with me. I am a saint. Okay, now you must explain why you're a saint. It's, all right, anyone want to tell me why you're a saint? Okay, here we go. Like I said, Justin is the smartest guy in the room consecrated, set apart, all right? You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Did you do anything to receive? No. So are you a saint because of your actions? Does being a saint give you a higher status? No. Okay, that's God's free gift. And then it says here, and so to the saints and the believing and the faithful brethren. And as I read that, I realized God was speaking to us about being more than just believers, but being faithful. And so often people are afraid of being faithful. So that's why we broke that over our lives this morning. Any insecurity, we, we've, we've broken that because we as saints now can believe and become faithful, not afraid of failing, not afraid of messing up, not afraid of stepping out of line. We are not afraid to step into what God has for us. 
And then in Colossians 3, verse 12, and this is this tree that is planted by the, by the, by the river that, that is not afraid when the heat comes. The second part of Colossians 3, verse 12 says, or let's just read the whole thing. It says, clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's own chosen ones. Say, I am a chosen one. No, you've got to say it like you believe it, all right? You can't say it like you're repeating something back to the pastor, all right? Say this, I am a chosen one. How many of you believe you are chosen? Okay, so let me go. Clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's own chosen ones. You are, I'm just reading on the Amplified, so I have to decide what I want to read or not in between the brackets there, all right? So, as God's chosen ones who are purified and holy and well-beloved by putting on. So you see there's the first part, you are washed as a saint, all right? The second part now is you have to put on the behavior marked by tender pity and mercy and kind feelings. And my Bible says a lowly opinion, there's a negative opinion. Uh, uh, what do you call it, connotation to that, but meekness and gentle ways and patience, which is tireless and long-suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes its way. Say, power to endure whatever comes your way. Okay, so... God gives us the ability and the power to endure whatever comes our way. Why? Because we have a stream that flows inside of us. And Jesus taught the disciples, he said, what's on the outside can't blemish you. It's what comes from the inside that blemishes a man. So the opposite of that is it's what comes from the inside that gives man courage that gives man hope, that blesses. It's the Holy Spirit at work from the inside, right? So what's happening here is, and I, I want to just bring this back to Jeremiah 17, tie this all in, and then we're going to go to Mark 7 as an example. But the church... The world has got, let me, let me go back a little bit. The world has got different kinds of people that Paul was saying. He was saying firstly to the saints, then to the believers and the faithful. Now, as I read that, I realized it doesn't help to just believe. We've got to be faithful as well. And then I realized because of fear, people, I'm just recapping just to bring this all together. Because of fear, there hasn't been faithfulness in some people's lives. And then instead of going back to God and receiving the courage and the boldness that he gives every person, they've clothed themselves in something other than the glory of God. And I've got a picture of, it's of plaster on a wall. And I just saw that, and I actually thought about when we built the mother's room in the back there, on, the, on this wall, on this side, there's an old wall and a new wall. And so when the plasterer plastered it, he plastered the old wall, 
And then he separated the plaster from the new walls plaster. And I walk in the room, because now if you go in there, there's a line straight down the middle there. And I walk in on the day they're plastering. I'm like, no, no, no. We've got to have one smooth wall. Plaster turns around and says, we can't, sir. There has to be an old wall and a new wall with regards to the plaster. Because if you plaster over the old wall and the new wall together, what happens is the new wall is going to dry and it's going to contract and eventually it's going to crack. And your plastering is going to crack. And I just saw that as a picture as When we come into Christ, we have to define our old life from our new life. We have to take the faithful step of actually moving out of our old life into a new life. Those two worlds have to be separated. There has to be the walk of faith of moving into a new life in Christ, clothing ourselves in Christ. So there's those that have believed, but there are those that haven't necessarily been faithful. And they've covered over their old life with an external appearance. And so what we have birthed in the church is what we call legalism. Does that make sense? Legalism is a plaster. Legalism covers the old and it covers the new but it doesn't define the old from the new so God spoke to me in sitting in the tree and he's like are you going to be faithful speaking to me because there are areas in my life that I have plastered over there are areas in my life where I've brought the old into the new and God was asking me to cover Not to cover, sorry. (laughs) Not to cover the old from the new, to separate it. And God is bringing into the church a new kind of boldness that is marked by transparency. A new kind of boldness that is marked by the ability to speak up. The ability to say, yes, this happened. But this is how God has fixed it. This is how God has redeemed it. And so when it is hidden, when it is plastered up, it becomes legalism. And so I asked our leaders, what is the difference between legalism and faithfulness? Because you know, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, you are saved by grace and not by works, so that you can't boast in your works. But then James throws a spanner in there and he says, faith without works is dead. So that means there has to be some kind of work or works that comes from faithfulness and not from legalism. See the difference, the main difference as we chatted in the room upstairs between legalism and faithfulness is under legalism, we're always trying to impress people. But under faithfulness, we know when we are faithful, 
we please God. Now, how many of you believe you please God through your faithfulness? Can you put up your hand nice and high? <laughs> All right. So God wants, I, I really just feel something in the room. Like there, there's almost this, I don't know if I can quite believe this, but God wants to bring a new kind of courage to you whoever you are in whatever phase of your life, that at the end of the day you drive home knowing you have pleased God with your faithfulness. You go to bed at night knowing you have pleased God with your faithfulness. And it's not the kind of work that comes from trying to please God through some form of legalism. It's real faithfulness rising up in us as children of God, in the body of Christ. It's genuine faithfulness, knowing that we, you know, we say the words, I serve God, <laughs> but do we actually serve God? Are we actually faithful to his word? Are we actually serving him in everything that we do? And so I just, was spending time in that and realizing that God wants to break legalism. And legalism are all the things that we do from a pleasing man perspective. And so you get people who say do one thing or don't do one thing, but they do exactly the opposite. And that's when they're working out of a place of legalism. So Mark 7... I, like I was asking God, God, what must I talk about today? Must I really talk about legalism and faithfulness? Give me a scripture, God. Because it's hard. Because when I speak about faithfulness, legalism jumps up. So I, God says, well, read Mark 7. I'm like, okay. So let's read Mark 7. Now they gathered together Pharisees and some of the scribes who came from Jerusalem. For they had seen that some of his disciples ate with common hands, that is, unwashed, because they had not given them a ceremonial washing. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands diligently up to the elbow with a clenched fist adhering carefully and faithfully to the tradition and practices and customs handed down to them by their forefathers. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they purify themselves. And there are many other traditions, the washing of cups and wooden pitchers and wide-mouthed jugs and utensils of copper and beds. And the Pharisees and the scribes kept asking Jesus, why do your disciples not order their way of living? according to the traditions hand down. But he said, Excellently and truly that Isaiah prophesy of you, the pretenders and the hypocrites. And he said, As it stands, these people honor me with their lips and their heart, but their hearts hold off and are far distant from me. Okay. I just want to break any feelings of, conde of condemnation, not condensation, condemnation, all right. <laughs> In the room as we read this, because God is calling us to a new kind of faithfulness, a new kind of stepping boldly into his presence. 
That journey has started for Bernadine and I in a, in a brand new way in our household where we're truly, truly stepping into God's faithfulness. God's revealing things in our lives where we have plastered over, where we've done the right things, but we haven't been completely faithful and obedient. And Jesus is asking of us, God is asking of us this morning to receive and establish His faithfulness in your life so that you can live faithfully in obedience. See, His grace does cover every mistake. His grace is a free gift and you can do nothing, really, you can do nothing to receive that, to be allowed into his presence. But in his presence, there is something about being in his presence that says, but now I'm going to be faithful with what I have been given. And I'm going to be faithful in my life and I'm going to honor God because God has created us as the pinnacle of all creation. The world, the universe, everything was created for you. And we actually have the honor then of glorifying God. Not with works of legalism, but with works of faithfulness. There's something powerful in being faithful, in being holy. So Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, it says, if you do honor God, and then he speaks specifically about the Sabbath, and he says, if you obey me, I will cause princes and kings to sit on the throne of David. And prophetically, I just saw each one of us have a anointing, have a specific anointing. And that anointing isn't just to be normal people on earth. That anointing is to be consecrated, to be set apart, to even sit on the throne. And by this, I mean to have authority in every sphere of your life, that you walk into every sphere of your life with a kingdom authority. And so when we honor God and we, 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 you know, God was challenging us or was speaking to us about honoring him with our time as much as we honor him with our finances. God has got a bride. Let's, let's go there. God has got a bride and that bride is his gathered church. That's you and me in this building today. Look at the person next to you say, you are a bride. <laughs> all right, men, don't be awkward, all right? So you're a bride. You're part of the bride of Christ. And what we're seeing right now is the world is hurt, the world has pain, and more than ever, the bride needs to stand together. The bride needs to gather. 
And the enemy is attacking the bride and the enemy is attacking its legitimacy in society. And so people no longer regard the bride as holy. Partly because legalism was so established within the bride. And so people served God through legalism in the bride. I'm talking history now. This is a new, we're writing a new story in this room. And God has been poorly represented on earth through legalism. But on the other side, there's complete unbelief. It's not all, I'm not saying it's, it's not all the church's fault. On the other side, there is just unbelief. And God is calling the bride to stand up in belief and to stand up in faithfulness and to stand up in the holiness with which it was called to represent Jesus Christ on earth. God gives us the same authority. The the word says you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in you. That can only happen in the context of the bride that is married to Christ. And he uses the church and the bride analogy so much so because he really or or because he values the picture or he values what happens in marriage, the commitment that is in marriage. But marriage also represents what God is doing through the church. And that is that lives are transformed when people gather to worship God and bring glory and honor to God together. Now I can sit in my treehouse all day and experience God and His holiness, but it is no good to the rest of the world unless there is a bride through which the holiness of God can be expressed. But my role in front is no more important than your role as a part of the bride, whether you're listening now in this moment or whether you're busy with different activities. But there is a gathering of the bride that the world can't do without. And what the world doesn't recognize is that really it does rest upon the bride. The the Bible says the governments will rest upon his shoulders, but he says we are his body. Does that make sense? So I've gone as far as to say, if there are certain strongholds in your life and you're not seeing breakthrough in them, the question is, have you been a part of the bride? Because in the bride, there is certain power that takes place. And I really, I'm trying to say this without being interpreted through legalism. But I'm trusting that we interpret this through faithfulness. There is a call to the church to get together, to be strong together, to be the bride together. And without it, God's presence cannot be on display. 
it baffles my mind how believers can attack churches, even if the churches have made mistakes. Because what they do in those attacks is break down or disregard what God wants to do. Now, there is a holiness that the bride is supposed to carry. And when we speak, when I speak about the holiness of the bride getting together, I'm talking about God's intent. I'm talking about God's intent for our lives, for your life, but for our world. It can only be established in righteousness if the bride takes its place. And if the bride considers its role, its gathering as being holy. And if the bride doesn't consider going to church or gathering a burden. Does that make sense? Man, it's tough. (laughs) It's tough because for too long the church has interpreted holiness through legalism. For too long the church has interpreted obedience as legalism. Where obedience is actually the biggest grace of them all. Can I say that again? Obedience is the biggest grace of them all. It is God's demonstration of grace because it's in obedience that we find His presence opening up for us. We find healing. As Justin just read that scripture that there there is a stream flowing down through the throne room that flows from the presence of the throne room. And there is a tree on either side and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Let me say this, if every person takes up their position of obedience or takes up their place of faithfulness in obedience, what they carry is the presence of God and the nations will be healed. Now last week I spoke about heritage. Why? Because it was heritage weekend. And I asked the church what is heritage and no one could answer. Celebrated a whole public holiday without knowing what heritage is. (laughs) Yeah, what is heritage? Bride. Okay. (laughs) That's not heritage. Heritage is your inheritance. But where does your inheritance come from? Your mom and dad? Your genes? your past, your country, your race. No, your inheritance comes from God. So look at this. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, why are your disciples not doing what the forefathers have been doing for generations and generations and generations and generations? Jesus points to the kingdom. Jesus points to an inheritance that lies ahead. Jesus points to a heritage that does not lie in the past, but lies in the future. 
So I spoke last week about David. I'm just recapping. Because you guys weren't faithful last week. You're faithful this week. (laughs) David's family was a family of sheep farmers. So in the natural, his heritage is to be a sheep farmer. But because David was boy number eight, his inheritance was smaller than the seven above him. David writes a psalm, he says, The lions have fallen for me in good places. Yes, I have a good heritage. But his heritage that he is writing about has nothing to do what nothing to do with his past, and it has nothing to do with what came through his family line, and it has everything to do with the anointing and the promise of God actively at work in his life. And, say and, his obedience to that anointing. Because if he wasn't obedient, the moment he faced Goliath, he would have run away. But it it was his anointing and his, it wasn't just his anointing, it was his faithfulness and obedience to the anointing that enabled him to walk out onto that field. When his older brothers, who have a bigger inheritance than him, told him to go home. How many of you know that's an insult? Go home. They said, you've come here to watch people die. Blood, blood, blood. That's what you've come here for. (laughs) No, David was there because he was obedient to his natural father. Go and give your brother some cheese. He went. <laughs> and then when he saw, and this is what he saw, he saw a giant, yes, but he saw a giant insulting God's inheritance. He saw a giant insulting the promises of God. He saw a giant insulting the favor that was given to a nation. He saw lies being spoken. And then he saw authority. And he saw the kingdom. And he said, I am going to be faithful as a servant of the Most High. And Saul tried to give him his armor. I feel like that's just a prophetic picture of, okay, we'll do this, but we're going to do this in the safe confines of legalism. We're going to do this in the safety of the weapons that we've made for ourselves. Take Saul's armor. But how many of you know Saul's armor was too heavy for David. If you carry someone else's burden onto the battlefield, it's going to weigh you down. If you take someone else's rules into your battlefield, if you take someone else's legalism, it's going to weigh you down. You are going to be ineffective, not able to fight. And he walks out there with 
a sling and five stones. Not because he thought he was going to get lucky. Because he knew that that is what he's good at. He was skilled at it. He said, that's, that's who I am. That's what I have. Picks five stones. Some people say, one for Goliath and four for, I don't know what. <laughs> but I just saw it. he knew he was going to do it. And he walked out onto that field in obedience and in faithfulness. And so there is a picture of the church. We don't have a complicated task ahead of us. For many of us, it's simple. Holiness is not difficult. It's just saying yes. It's walking out without a burden. David's Goliath moment was, in many ways, for the context of this sermon, a Sabbath moment. It was a holy moment. And he walked out onto that field without a burden. Don't carry a burden on the Sabbath. He walked out in honor of God. He knew he was a son of the Most High. Is that good? Okay, so now I can come back to where I was. <laughs> in its simplest form, we have four very simple acts as the body of Christ, which we get to do on a Sunday which is a Sabbath, and we can be faithful to that Sabbath in faithfulness and not in legalism. Here's your four stones, if I can call them that. <laughs> the first stone is attendance. Say with me, attendance. <laughs> the body of Christ has to start valuing the gathering of the saints again. We come out of lockdown where people are used to being at home. They're used to sitting at home, doing their own thing, working in pajamas. How many of you have been working in pajamas? There we go. Could I see that hand? You're forgiven. <laughs> Let me just say on a side note, Maddie in the worship team, she says she gets up every day and dresses as if she's driving to Santon. It's important. It's important for your well-being to dress for the moment. Can I share a funny story? God taught me this. I don't always dress the best. I like pluckies. That's why we have one plucky Sunday a year where everyone can be free or sweated out. <laughs> I was working in the garden and I had some old clothes on, like, you know those, you know those T-shirts that you really love from high school that you never want to let go of. <laughs> so one Sunday evening, I'm just working in the garden, and I had to go. You just dig on the on the pavement a bit. It's Sunday night. I go outside, and I'm fixing the irrigation, and I'm walking back to the gate, and this car drives past. The car stops. The guy's like, "Hey, man, 
can I help you? Do you like, do you need to go somewhere? Or <laughs> God said, kings dress like kings, y'all. You got what you asked for. <laughs> so dress for the parts. Okay, the first... <laughs> Okay, but that's got nothing. All right, we're actually talking about attendance, okay? We're talking about the fact that the church needs to wake up and put its stone in its sling. The first stone in its sling is attendance. And I say this, family time does not come above church time. Do you hear me? Through the, eye, through the heart of faithfulness. Let me, let me show how you can affect the world through family time. You bring your family to church. Hello? It's very quiet now. No one's shouted amen. <laughs> family time does not come before God's time. This is a holy time. And when we believe that, when we actually see the effect of it at work in our lives, we will see the effect of it at work in our families. It's 9 to 11. It's, it's two hours of your week. It's not even 10% of your time. God does things in this room when we're gathered together that cannot be replicated online. The the church right now is used to an online church space where if you don't like what the preacher says, you just go to someone else. You can't do that here. If you don't like what I say, you've got to look at me. <laughs> but attendance is a stone in your sling. It's so important to serve God in faithfulness with your time. And it's not just time here, it's time to bring God's presence into other areas. To be available to pray, to assist, to help out, to encourage. Is that good? Second stone in your sling is tithing, church. Bernadine and I, and being transparent, you know, we weren't faithful with our finances for years. We were, and then the kids came. And then the budget got constrained. And guess what? We didn't place our trust in God completely. We did. We gave 500. We gave 200. Gave 1,000. Maybe 2,000 every now and then. Oh, I'm just blessing God. God's word very clearly says, give a tenth of everything. And then will I not open the storehouses? Some people say, but we're in grace. That's Old Testament. Ask Ananias and Sapphira what grace feels like. That's New Testament. They didn't even have to give anything, but they lied about what they were giving. God says, test me and prove me. Will I not open the storehouses? Now, he's not just talking about the storehouse of your own bank account and your own business. He's talking about the storehouse of God's favor in the kingdom. 
of his favor in the church, a church that is acting as a representative of the Most High on this earth. People need to see God at work, and he does it through his bride. Someone say amen. Amen. (laughs) It's important. Tithing is not legalism. It is faithful. It is being faithful. It is being obedient. It is being a holy representative of God. It is giving back to God what is God's anyway. Trust Him with your finances. Believe Him. The third sling in your stone is is to serve. What did I say? That's what I meant. (laughs) God's doing a new work in this house. (laughs) Are we listening through faithfulness or through legalism? I just want to check. (laughs) Is serving, serving, and you get to practice serving. Yeah, you get to make coffee. When last did you make coffee for strangers? Someone in the house? There we go. Anyone? Right. You can put up your hand. <laughs> Serving, not just on the band, not just, yes, now I feel like I'm preaching for the church. I'm not. I'm preaching with regards to the kingdom and what God is revealing. There is something that takes place when you give up some of your life to serve. To serve the bride of Christ will teach you to serve the world. Hello? When I was in the wedding industry, in the wedding video industry, almost every videographer that I met started out serving in church. There were certain skills that they learned serving. I believe God wants to open up doors, not just in this church, but outside of this church through serving, through honoring God with what you do. It's not a burden. <laughs> Hello? Oh, man, now we've got to serve today. God says, don't bring an on, a burden on the Sabbath. <laughs> we serve out of faithfulness, out of honor. The fourth stone in your sling (laughs) is community. Good relationships. When I spend time outside of the church, I find out how many people don't have good relationships. How hard it actually is. How difficult it actually is outside of Christian circles how difficult it is outside of the bride. God wants to restore trust. Hear me clearly. God wants to restore trust. And the enemy is attacking trust, not just in the church, but in our marriages. And we start to doubt one another. We start to question one another's motives. We start to wonder what their intent is. Let me just say, the moment that starts in your life, stop. What's the word? Harboring it. I'm looking for another word there. Don't entertain distrust. 
The Bible says if you have an offense with your brother, go speak to your brother. If they don't hear you, take someone with, not to prove them wrong, but to be a witness between your conversation. Because sometimes we want to come with an army. Now I'm going to prove you wrong. No, we want to have community. We want to, we want to have a community that is built on honor, that is built on trust, on faithfulness. And we get to represent. And, and that's what God wants to do throughout the world is, is have relationships built on honor and built on trust. And it can't happen if the bride isn't standing up in its place, isn't standing up in its calling. Are you guys okay with that? Are you with me? God wants to do something through our faithfulness, through our obedience that has never been achieved through legalism, through traditionalism, through heritage from the past. But He wants to give us a new heritage something that is brand new, something that is unseen, something that has never taken place before. And he wants to do that through us. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all here today. <laughs> but there is something about faithfulness and about obedience, about being part of the bride that God releases his power in that moment. God releases his power through the bride. And we've got to step into that and step into that holiness. Amen. Foo Fighters wrote a song called Pretenders. Let's not be pretenders. Let's not plaster it over. But let's clothe ourselves in God's glory. Let us put on those clothes. Clothe us in Christ. Clothe us in his riches. Last point, or just last scripture. The Pharisees said to Jesus, why aren't your disciples orderly? Hello? Yeah. Why aren't they living in the order of the forefathers? He uses the word order. Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 5. This is the last point. Or last verse. It says, For though I am away from you in body, I am with you in spirit, delighted at the sight of your orderly array and firmness and the solid front and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. There is a false order under legalism. There is a fake order under legalism. But Paul writes and he commends the Colossians church for their orderliness. He's not saying their staunch well-behaviorness. He's talking about the principles of love at this, on display within the body whereby what is displayed is built in order on the presence of God, on faith, on obedience, which demonstrates itself in love. And Paul commends the church 
for having their act together, if I can put it that way, but for the order with which they have established their faith. May you be blessed as you establish your lives on God's order. Because there is only one way. And that way is through Christ and being faithful to Him in our lives. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.